I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. So far on this podcast, we've talked about a few Art Deco and Modern movie houses. Many of these theaters throughout the United States put to great use something called pigmented structural glass. It's this material that we'll focus on for today's episode. Now, full disclosure, this kind of started as a filler episode. I'm working on a new series, but that's slow going, and I wanted to put out something new for you to listen to in the meantime. I admit, I wasn't all that jazzed about glass, but once I started researching it, I just got more and more into it. Hopefully, I can get you interested in it too. A new spin on an old material, this stuff was used to literally give theater exteriors a smooth, polished appearance, in line with the overall streamlined, almost futuristic aesthetic that was Art Deco and Modern. Opaque tinted glass slabs were created by fusing a silicate material at high temperature, rolling it into a slab, cooling it over several days, and then mechanically polishing it. The resulting smooth, shiny structural glass went by numerous brand names, the most popular of which were Santa Onyx, later Rocks, Carrera Glass, and Vitrolite. Part of what made pigmented structural glass so popular was its versatility. It could be cut, sculpted, curved, colored, textured, laminated, and even illuminated. It was well suited to both new buildings and remodels, and either interior or exterior applications. In this episode, we'll explore why and how the material came to be a popular choice for theater exteriors in the 1930s and 40s. To start, let's look at the first major manufacturer of the stuff, as well as two other companies that would come to dominate the market. Santa Onyx. Marietta Glass Company, later known as Marietta Manufacturing, was founded in 1890 in Red Key, Indiana, as a glass building material company. Headquartered in Red Key from its inception until 1903, the company then moved operations to Indianapolis, where they remained until the company was dissolved in 1981. Around 1900, Marietta came out with a silica-based product called Sani Onyx. Billed as a vitreous marble, Early on, it was heavily marketed towards hospitals, labs, sanatoria, and the like as a clean surface material, hence the Santa in the name. Marietta also often touted how appropriate Santa Onyx was for restrooms and noted that it was a modern day material for walls, ceiling, wainscoting, wherever you would commonly use the conventional materials, plaster, tile, or marble. Santa Onyx was literally made from melted rock. Silica, fused at 2600 degrees Fahrenheit, created, Marietta claimed, a wall material that was 40% harder than marble. Some other magnificent marketing claims that Marietta made about its product. It does not stain or discolor, nor is it affected by warmth, moisture, or salt air. It does not crack or check, even under severe strain. Climatic conditions do not affect Santa Onyx in the slightest degree and it is impermeable to water or any liquid, including all acids except hydrofluoric. It also was supposedly builder-friendly. 
Santa Onyx is made in either tile pattern sheets or plain slabs to meet every construction need. It was also aesthetically pleasing. Standard colors included blue, ivory, gray, apple green, olive green, black, and white. Of course, many pleasing color combinations are possible within this range, and in addition to the standard colors, any desired color or combination may be had on special order. Santa Onyx was available in several surface textures. A smooth polished surface known as flame glaze, semi-matte, matte, polychrome, embossed, and Tiffany faience. For this last texture, Lightly sandblasted designs were pigmented before glazing. Marietta also assured its customers of the durability of Santa Onyx. Even after years of the hardest kind of service, you will find the flint-like surface of Santa Onyx as fresh and lustrous as the very day it was installed, and without a trace of stain or discoloration. There is no more wear out to Santa Onyx than there is to rock itself. Only malicious destruction can mar its striking beauty. They even went so far as to note that it couldn't be marred if someone put a cigarette out on it. In 1930, the Federal Trade Commission found that, because it was neither onyx or marble, the Santa Onyx name and the vitreous marble marketing were to the injury and prejudice of the public and competitors and constituted unfair methods of competition. Marietta was ordered by the FTC to cease and desist from using the term Santa Onyx of vitreous marble as a designation or description of its product. After that, Marietta marketed their structural glass as Santa Rocks, R-O-X. They produced Santa Rocks at least into the early 1950s. Carrera Glass. In 1880, John Pitcairn, who was at that time an official of the Pennsylvania Railroad, became interested in glass manufacturing. He invested roughly $200,000 with one Captain John B. Ford, former owner of an Ohio River steamboat fleet. They, together with several other businessmen, organized the New York City Plate Glass Company. In August of 1883, after completion of a glass plant in Creton, Pennsylvania, the company was renamed the Pittsburgh Plate Glass Company. The company still exists today, the Fortune 500 company, PPG Industries. Pittsburgh Plate Glass started manufacturing opaque glass around the same time or shortly after Marietta. PPG originally made their glass only in white. Someone thought it resembled white marble from the Italian quarries at Carrera in Tuscany, and by 1906, a material was being produced under the name of Carrera Glass. Generally speaking, as told by PPG, Carrera was made up of a mass of crystals suspended in a matrix of glass. To be slightly more specific, the Carrera glasses may be classified with the basalts and the feldspars. And that's as much as I'm willing to get into geology. The glass was produced in Ford City, Pennsylvania, using a pot melting process. The manufacturer begins with the preparation and melting of the batch, followed by the casting of the molten glass, annealing, and the final step of grinding and polishing the rough product. After leaving the grinding and polishing machines, the plates are thoroughly washed by a hand cleaning operation. Like Santa Onyx, Carrera was pitched for uses that required cleanliness. 
Carrera glasses are impervious to moisture, stains, and odors. Therefore, uses where sanitation is imperative are suggested, namely hospital, kitchen, and restaurant walls and equipment, wainscot in bathrooms, laboratories, food processing establishments, toilet partitions, and wall work in public toilet rooms. Throughout the 1910s, Carrera was popular for interior use, in part because of architect Cass Gilbert's use of it inside New York City's Woolworth Building. Then, around 1921, there developed a trend toward complete storefronts of glass. Fascia, bulkheads, pilasters, and upper sign panels of Carrera with polished plate glass show windows set in metal storefront fittings. In support of this, PPG produced Carrera in large slabs. It could be laminated by a method of permanently cementing the sheets together under heat and pressure so that the unit may be handled and used in the same manner as solid glass. This made installation easier. Structural glass as a veneer material can be applied with mastic cement over almost any firm, true subwall. The use of Carrera for commercial building facades continued through the 1930s and was further promoted by the Modernized Main Street Design Competition, which was held in 1935. More on that in just a bit. By the mid-30s, Pittsburgh plate glass had moved beyond just black and white and was helping to bring storefronts up to date with an array of colors of Carrera. Catalogs show that by the early 1940s, PPG was cranking out Carrera in white, ivory, beige, jade, later called tranquil green, forest green, gray, black, and Rembrandt blue. Here's a few more Carrera claims from a 1942 catalog. Carrera structural glass is a material which successfully combines beauty, versatility, sanitation, permanence, and reasonable cost. It is a glass which is mechanically ground and polished to a true flat surface. It brings to the architect soft, right colors that are genuinely distinctive and designed to harmonize with almost any color scheme. Carrera is strong and durable, made to withstand rigorous use indoors and out. It will not absorb odors of any kind. It is impervious to grease, grime, moisture, chemicals, and pencil marks. It can easily be kept clean by an occasional wiping with a damp cloth. It retains its original beauty year after year, never fading or staining. It is easy to install, and it is adaptable to so many different kinds of treatment that it offers the architect unlimited opportunities for design. Consumers had two choices of finishes. Polished, which was a brilliant, reflective, plate glass finish, and suede, a softer, less reflective finish. Carrera glass was produced until the early 1960s. Vitrolite. The Meyercord Carter Company of West Virginia was incorporated in October of 1907 and shortly after began making vitrolite signs. In 1910, they reorganized as the Vitrolite Company, headquartered in Parkersburg, West Virginia with offices or agents around the country. The structural vitrolite that became popular with architects was first produced by the company around 1916. The vitrolite company experienced steady growth throughout the 1910s. By the 1920s, their main offices had moved to Chicago, although the product was still being produced in West Virginia. 
The plant there was apparently capable of producing 5 million square feet of material each year. In 1935, the Vitrolite Company was acquired by Libby Owens Ford of Toledo, Ohio. LOF had a long history as a glass manufacturer. They were the first company to produce laminated safety glass for automobiles and supplied the windshields for Ford's Model A's. I'll note here that a British company by the name of Pilkington was also producing a glass product in the 1930s called Vitrolite. Incidentally, LOF was acquired in the 1980s by Pilkington, which is still a major glass manufacturer today. Vitrolite was described as a homogeneous and opaque structural glass fused at a temperature of about 3000 degrees Fahrenheit. With a dense and tough structure, it supposedly had a tensile strength and a resistance to wear greater than that of marble. Better than marble was their tagline. Like Santa Onyx, vitrolite was said to have a crushing strength about 40% greater than marble. And like both Santa Onyx and Carrera, vitrolite was initially marketed as an ultra-clean surface, ideal for toilet and shower partitions, the food service industry, like brine freezing rooms in ice cream factories, and hospitals and laboratories. With a surface that time cannot change, there is nothing about vitrolite to wear out or become old. It will not crack like marble or craze like tile. It will never become dull or discolored. It is absolutely non-porous and resists acids and other forms of discoloration. It is highly resistant to burns from cigars or cigarettes. It is difficult to write or mark upon and is easily cleaned by wiping with a damp cloth, or in extreme cases, by the application of soap and water. Vitrolite was available in two surface types, fire polished and mechanically ground or polished. Colors included white, gray, ivory, yellow, suntan, jade, black, red, and tropic green. Several agate colors were also available. Slabs could be as large as six square feet for easy installation on storefronts. LOF stopped making vitrolite in 1958. Storefront and theater applications. Okay, so that gives you an idea of the major pigmented structural glass companies and their products. But what about how pigmented structural glass was applied specifically to theater exteriors? To understand that, it's important to talk about a couple of things. First, the Art Deco style, and second, initiatives in the 1930s to modernize Main Street through remodeling. Art Deco, which came out of Paris's 1925 International Exposition, strove for a modern machine age aesthetic. Say goodbye to busy textured surfaces, say hello to clean lines and smooth, shiny finishes. Glossy, posh-looking, pigmented structural glass was so of the moment, so tailor-made for the Art Deco style, that today it's hard to separate the style from the material. So, theaters that were popping up in the late 20s, 1930s, and early 1940s were very likely to be Art Deco and very likely to employ pigmented structural glass. In the early 1930s, both Carrera Glass and Vitrolite were being marketed directly to theater owners and operators. Both LOF and PPG were advertising Vitrolite and Carrera in Hollywood trade publications of the day. 
Vitrolite glorifies the American theater. A good picture deserves a good front. Another Vitrolite tagline. Stop them and bring them in with a Pitco theater front. And in November of 1934, in the Better Theater section of Motion Picture Herald, Vitrolite was called out in an article titled New Schemes in Modern Remodeling. This material is handsome, strong, does not stain, is weatherproof, and remains new-looking. It is one of the most used facings for fine storefronts and is one of the best for the front of a motion picture theater. In 1935, the same year that LOF acquired the Vitrolite Company, the amended Modernization Credit Plan was enacted. Part of the New Deal Housing Act that had been signed into law by President Roosevelt the year before, the Modernization Credit Plan included a provision for industrial and business loans. It provided for the insurance of loans, advances of credit, in amounts up to $50,000 for businesses and commercial buildings, among other types, to bring them up to par, basically seriously incentivizing Main Street remodels. Seemingly in concert with enactment of the Modernization Credit Plan, LOF sponsored a Modernizing Main Street competition. The major objective of the competition was to create designs for remodeling stores, and the results would hopefully stimulate the interest and imagination of the country and induce them to bring their stores up to date. This they should readily do because none of the designs selected is extravagant, simplicity being one of the qualities required by the jury. The response to the competition was pretty astounding. One-third of all registered architects in the U.S. at the time, about 3,000 individuals, participated in the competition. And as an aside, the Association for Preservation Technology International has digitized LOF's 52 designs to modernize Main Street with glass, the jury selection from the competition. It's available on archive.org, and I recommend you check it out if you can. It's kind of an Art Deco design dream. Anyway, although theaters were not specifically included in the competition, design categories included the food store, drug store, automobile sales and service station, and apparel shop, it did put into high gear the Main Street remodeling trend. The year after the competition, Pittsburgh Plate Glass issued a catalog that included some impressive before and afters of the Adelphi Theater in Chicago and the Malone Theater in Sikiston, Missouri. Both were remodels that made extensive use of black Carrera glass on the facades. The exterior of the Times Theater in Braddock, Pennsylvania also appears to have been completely redone in the late 1930s in black, gray, and ivory Carrera. The Lancaster Theater in River Rouge, Michigan was made over with ivory, black, and golden agate vitrolite. The facade of Chicago's Garrick Theater was redone in 1935 in dark blue agate vitrolite. Sadly, none of these theaters exist anymore. The Alliance Theater in Nebraska, which we profiled a couple of episodes back, employed a tinted structural glass in a top-to-bottom remodel of an early 1900s theater. Most likely, Carrera or vitrolite was used. The Southern Theater in Oak Park, Illinois, was made over with Carrera glass in late 1934, early 1935. That building was demolished in 2010. It's also worth mentioning just a few of the many new construction theaters that used structural glass. 
One of the best examples is the Grand Theater in Grand Island, Nebraska. Completed in 1937, its entire facade is done in black, beige, and jade structural glass. It was restored in the late 80s and still shows movies today. Another great example is the Ritz Theater in Talladega, Alabama. The 1936 building has a mostly black vitrolite facade with the letters MT, for Martin Theaters, its original owners, in jade, and additional red and ivory accents. The theater has been beautifully restored and operates today as a performing arts space and sometimes movie theater. Or how about the State Theater in Deposit, New York? The theater, which is still open today, was constructed in 1937 with a facade completely clad in dark blue vitrolite. Art Deco was a popular style choice for movie theaters of the 1920s and 30s. Just as the movies had modernized, moving from silent to sound by 1929, so too did the movie houses need to present the newest ideas in architecture and design. Pigmented structural glass became extremely popular in the 1920s because of its versatility and ease of use, as well as its alignment with the principles of Art Deco. Its popularity grew throughout the decade, and it continued as a favored exterior treatment throughout the 1930s and into the 1940s. While there were numerous companies that eventually manufactured structural glass, PPG's Carrera and LOF's Vitrolite had the most market share. Products like these could give buildings a completely new, modern look with cheaper material costs and easier installation than marble, tile, or other traditional types of cladding. In particular, for business owners in the 1930s who wanted to improve their buildings but could scarcely afford to build new, the ease with which structural glass could be easily placed over existing facades was a huge draw. As is usually the case, however, times changed. Post-war tastes shifted away from Art Deco towards modernism, and as Deco declined, so too did the use of pigmented structural glass. By the early 1950s, the structural glass market was a fraction of what it had been in the 1940s. This also coincided with the general shift away from small, main street or neighborhood theaters. But as we noted earlier, there are plenty of theaters still in existence today with absolutely beautiful structural glass facades. And no doubt there's many more than just the few that I found. I encourage you to look for ones in your area and go visit them if you can. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, may your seats be ever in the center. <laughs>